This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Dare to Brew Different with new and exciting hop varieties from Hopsteiner's industry-leading breeding program. Varieties like Sultana, Lotus, Bravo, Altus, and Contessa are now available in lupulin pellet form, packing more flavor and aroma per pellet. Discover more at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. In reality, what was uh, the most beneficial was just data that any brewer can enter by hand or record by hand without any you know, fancy control system or anything like that. This week on the show, we hear how one of the largest craft brewers is using data to improve their process. And if you're thinking, my brewery isn't big enough to do this, think again. This episode originally aired in November of 2017. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. Yeah, so my name is Brian Faber, and I'm brewmaster of operations for Deschutes Brewery. Okay, why don't you give us a little bit of background on Deschutes? Yeah, so we're located in Bend, Oregon, and we started in 1988 when Gary Fish opened up the Deschutes Brewery Public House in downtown Bend. And then in 1993, we built our production facility about a mile away from this original pub, and we're estimated we'll probably produce about 350,000 barrels of packaged beer this year and plans to open a second production facility in Roanoke, Virginia in 2021. That's great. I'm I'm a I'm a Hokie and not too far oh, from nice. there. And and I actually have a uh, a little farm brewery project um, just uh, just not too far from there either. So I'm welcome. I'm excited to welcome you guys to the neighborhood. I think it's going nice. to be pretty awesome. cool. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't realize for many years I didn't realize just how big Deschutes was. I mean, I, I mean, you guys are what like the sixth, seventh, eighth largest craft yeah. brewer or something like that. I mean, yeah, we're somewhere big. in that range. Yeah, yeah, I always lose track now, but we're yeah in that ballpark. That's cool. Okay, so um, uh, so here you kind of set out to use you know predictive analytics to improve quality and increase capacity. What does what does all that mean, and what sparked the idea for this project? You know, we we always talk about so it, it just took I guess um, you know decent amount of time to get where we are today, and so for you know for years we've kind of built a strong culture around just data collection and using data to drive our decision-making process. 
Um, but and this was kind of taking uh, that next step. So all this data we had, it was for just you know static reporting or just being able to trend kind of um, what had occurred in the in the past. And you know, a few years ago, predictive analytics, artificial intelligence, a lot of those technologies had become a little more mainstream and approachable um, for people to use. And so I remember, I, I, you know, I picked up a book on R, which is um, uh, this programming language for statistics, but it allows you to kind of use a lot of these different algorithms for machine learning. And uh, the book was great. I, I just remember there were a lot of examples where I thought, oh man, we could we could totally use this and and what we do in a, on a day to day basis. And so, you know, we kind of decided to start with fermentation because it, it seemed. Um, I guess there are a lot of areas we could have started, but fermentation seemed um, like a pretty natural fit for us to begin with. So you're trying to optimize uh, fermentation. What part of that specifically? Obviously, there's a lot of different components there. Yeah. And so, you know, always talk about like, or when we talk about fermentation at Deschutes, we talk about nine distinct phases. And um, what's interesting about them is we, we've got three of those phases that require, you know, either a brewer or QA tech to actually transition to fermentation based upon an analysis. And so we go from uh, fermentation to free rise, um, or free rise to what we call, you know, or to diastole rest or from diastole rest to cooling. So each one of those transitions from that current phase to the next phase require a brewer or QA technician to go out, grab that sample and prep that sample and then perform the analysis and then kind of look at what our specification is and based upon that determine, you know, if we're at that level or beyond it, they'll, then they'll transition the fermentation in our control system from the current phase to the next. And, you know, the challenge there has been is, is hitting that at the right moment, you know, being able to perform that analysis at that exact moment. Um, and once we don't, right, we, and, and that, I guess that's, that's a little bit of the rub there. Like those transitions for us, they, they greatly impact our level of fermentation and also our diastole level. So we're pretty hesitant to transition early on those. Um, so we, you know, we sacrifice a, probably a bit of quality, but a bit of consistency and uh, capacity and error on the side of being late. And so that was kind of the challenge there was to see, could we try to address that issue? All right, so how'd you get started? What'd you look at first? The first two transitions we wanted to look at were from fermentation to free rise and um, free rise to diastole rest. So both of those transitions are determined by an ADF target based upon the brand um, that we're currently fermenting. And so, you know, to begin with, we just, we, we had a lot of, you know, I was telling you, we had been recording data and kind of built this uh, culture and team around recording data for years. And so we started out by, we just, we plotted ADF data for a bunch of our brands. And I think we went back about two and a half years. And so, um, Brian, there's this, probably a lot of, um, there's probably some folks who don't know what ADF is. So we should probably, yeah, probably explain yeah. that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's a, yeah, actually. I, so I came out of national and gave this presentation in uh, um, our district and I made that modification. And that's a great point. So um, ADF or parent degree of fermentation. And so that's just looking at 
your your starting gravity of your fermenter um, minus your current gravity and then divided by your starting um, if you're using play-doh and that's just going to give you um, well it's apparent right so it's it's versus real so it's not taking into account uh, the density difference in alcohol so um, but it's just it, it's a good measurement of how your fermentation is performing how much um, sugar has been converted um, to alcohol and carbon dioxide and other compounds. Very good. Did you consider any other parameters to use, um, you know, for this uh, predictive analytics or was it ADF, ADF the whole way? Yeah, you know, that that's like such a great question um, because, yeah, originally we thought, you know, this is going to be great. We're going to feed this, you know, the system, we're going to feed it all this information we're collecting on a fermenter. So, um, you know, the brand, the class of fermenters, we have different size fermenters with different, you know, geometries, cooling zones. Some of our tanks have pressure uh, readings, so we fed that. We fed all the temperature information, glycol information as far as, you know, temperatures, flow rates, and what our glycol system looked like. And what was really interesting, we worked with a data scientist um, to develop uh, a lot of the solution. And, and he came back and he did a whole analysis on what our strongest factors really were and the things that um, gave us the best predictions and gave us really accurate predictions were um, the ADF measurement, the brand, and the fermenter class that it was in. Which uh, you know, I, I I thought was uh, very fascinating because by fermenter class, do you mean size of it? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, or just e- exactly. So it, yeah, um, you know, we'll we'll feed to um, the the system what FE it is, and so you know the the algorithm and the machine learning is actually taking that into account over time. So it kind of knows that it's it's been in this FE, and these FEs are have similar characteristics as far as size exactly. Um, but what I loved about it is, you know, we thought, oh, we're going to be able to feed all this, you know, data that we're recording all the time on these fermentations. And in reality, what was uh, the most beneficial was just data that any brewer can enter by hand or record by hand without any, you know, fancy control system or anything like that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so what we did, you know, so looking, going back to ADF, we just plot, we just simply said, give me all, give me the data for, you know, for example, like Black Butte Porter, give me all my ADF measurements for the last two and a half years. And we plotted, you know, hours since Fermenterful uh, on the X axis and the Y, we just plotted our ADF measurements. And, you know, so we did this for a lot of our brands and, I, you know, we knew it wasn't a linear trend and instead what we were kind of seeing start to pop out was like this S-like curve. And what I mean by that is we had, if we start at time zero, we had this period of slow growth, and then we saw a period of rapid growth, and then uh, followed by a period of growth that leveled off. And so again, going back, we were working with a uh, data scientist on this, and, um, you know, he, he led us to kind of use this logistic function or a sigmoid curve. You mentioned that you used two and a half years of historical data. I was going to ask, uh, you know, how much you needed to make good predictions. Um, how, how, and when were you sampling ADF um, for measurements? You know, during that period, I, I know you, you mentioned that it was, you know, um, that, that you had some, you know, limited uh, some challenges there. But kind of, what was the protocol? Was it, you know, every twelve hours, or was it, you know, what was it? Yeah, that yeah, I love that part too. The so. 
What's interesting is um, typically, I think how we perform, and and that's something that's been really fun about this project because it, again, it's it's an opportunity to change the way how we we take these measurements um, uh, when we take our gravity checks. And historically, I think they're really done at shift n. So you know, yeah, um, nice. yeah. So you know, part of the week we have brewers on ten hour shifts, and the other part they're on twelve. So you'll typically see those measurements. You know, when those shifts are ending, brewers are ending their shift. That's kind of, you know, they'll go out and get gravities, and then obviously as fermentations approach those transitions, they'll also get measurements as well. But the great thing about our, our, I think where we were fortunate is since we had been running 24-7 for a while and fermentations were kind of starting all around the clock, we had, even though we had measurements kind of on these set cadences, um, because fermentations were starting at different times, we were getting a nice set of data, um, you know, from time zero, you know, to 72 hours or so. We got a good data set there. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a fun question because uh, it's just, it, and I, you, you know, I think we, I was in that same pattern too. It's just like, yep, end of shift. Uh, it's time to go check gravities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you've plotted ADF over time, and you've got these S-curves. Tell us a little bit more about their characteristics and what was useful there. Yeah, and so going back to this logistic function or, you know, sigmoid curve, so that's something you, you can you can Google and you can, you can get the function uh, that's out there. But if you, you think about it, I mean, in trying to explain with this curve, again, going back to this S-like shape, so if you look at the start of your curve close to time zero, um, you're going to see, like, just a really that bottom of the S, really slow growth. And then as you get into the fermentation and fermentation really kicks up, you know, we see that line of the S, the slope really kind of increase and pick up and take off. And then towards the end of the fermentation, um, that levels off and you get the kind of the top of the S there. Um, and so what this function does is it, it what was great about it is we had really, you know, four well, I mean, if you, okay, so we talked about the function. It, it's um, our ADF at time t, right? It's going to equal A, which is our curve's maximum value. So that's one parameter we could, or coefficient we could, we can manipulate. And B is going to be the steepness of that curve or the steepness of the, the S, I guess you could say. And then C is going to be uh, the midpoint. So when we talk about that, we can manipulate and say, okay, the midpoint of the S is going to happen at this hour. And so it was great, you know, if we, we looked at that, so, and one of the things I did for the annual presentation, just because I'm a very much, um, and this is, this is such a great challenge since it's all over audio, but um, so for my presentation, I just, you know, I charted uh, a really simple curve out and showed how you can manipulate those coefficients. Um, and I guess the, really the point to drive home is if we looked at all that data of ADF that we plotted and that, that, S-like data set that we would see of, of data plots. Um, the, the cool thing about this function is, is really you could manip manipulate those coefficients to really model how your ADF data looks. So uh, that was really cool to see. I mean, that was that was um, that was kind of the first part. We felt like we had a function that could actually model the data we were seeing in real life. Predictive analytics for diacetyl and more. 
I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. HS Sativa, brought to you by BSG Hop Solutions. Meet the latest in the BSG Hop Solutions portfolio, HS Sativa. Strong expressions of stone fruit, floral, and resinous pine flavors and aromas define this blend. Crafted specifically for use in hazy IPAs and other hop-forward beers. HS Sativa is ideal for aroma, whirlpool, and dry hop additions to hazy and juicy IPAs. Or for any other hoppy styles where a combination of citrus, tropical fruit, and pine aromatics are desired. Go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more, or call 1-800-374-2739. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. I hope you'll join me on Thursday, October 28th in Cleveland for a live version of Ask the Brewmasters. Panelists include soon-to-be Master Brewers President Andy Tavikram from Market Garden Breweries, Travis Audette from Anheuser-Busch InBev, and Vinny Chilerzo from Russian River. If you haven't already registered for the conference, use the link in the show notes to register now. District Mid-South meets virtually October 14th. District Northern Illinois meets October 21st at Short Fuse Brewing. The District Northwest Fall meeting formerly at Hood River is now going to be virtual October 22nd. There's one big meeting that's on my calendar. I hope it's on yours. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. And don't forget the world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins October 31st. District Philly reclaims its old meeting spot at the Wyndham and Old City, November 5th and 6th. I'm looking forward to the District Mid-Atlantic meeting the weekend of November 12th in Virginia Beach. Hope to see you there. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. I hope you'll join me in Cleveland Friday, October 29th for something really special. I'll be doing a live interview with fan favorite Joe Hertrick as he receives the Master Brewers Distinguished Life Service Award. Joe has been educating brewers and maltsters for more than 50 years, and I can't wait to give conference attendees a glimpse into Joe's lifetime of service. If you still haven't registered for the conference, do it now, and don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Now back to the show.
and so I guess once we had, you know, that, that function was great for modeling the data, but the, 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 that next step, right, was to actually being able uh, to predict, like, so to predict in the future. So the way, you know, the, the algorithm or, or the, the concept works is so what we do is we we have a brand that's in fermentation. So using that same function, right, we look at historically how that brand has performed. Um, and where that ADF finishes. And so we, we choose an A value based upon that brand uh, and its historic performance. And then we seed, I guess the best way for me to explain this is we kind of seed this prediction um, with historical values for uh, those B and C coefficients. So again, up on the brand. And so what that does is that gives us um, an ADF prediction curve based upon how the brand has performed. And then for that actual batch, so that fermentation that's um, happening as ADF, so Plato measurements, brewers are entering measurements, um, those get plotted along with these seeded values. And then so at every point where a new measurement comes in, um, there's an algorithm that runs and it does regression basically on on the data, the seeded values and the actual values. And so when every ADF measurement comes in, we get a new predicted value for that batch. It's, it's basically, you know, for Manifold, here's our first prediction. Um, ADF value comes in, here's our next prediction, um, and so on and so forth until we get to our, towards the end of the fermentation. Have you put much thought into, like, with new brands, how much data you would have to have, you know, for this to work with if you come up with a brand new seasonal or something? Yeah, yeah, that, and that, yeah, I like that question a lot. That's um, that's something we've, we've kicked around a bit. And, you know, what we've seen as new brands have come into production and, you know, we, we won't, um, until that first fermentation has been through and we have at least one set of data for one fermentation, um, that's solely what the prediction will be based off of, right? So if you're, if, if we're very consistent, then, then our second round should be good. But the, the model strength definitely comes um, over time as we're kind of building more data. And what's been great about that is we're kind of seeing if, if, if we're making tweaks to our process or raw materials are changing, um, it does adjust as we're continuing to collect that data. But yeah, great question with new brands. So that's one thing we've even said, and we, we haven't implemented it yet, but we said, well, you know what, we might want to assume that this brand's going to ferment similar fashion to this brand so use that but we just haven't got there yet but yeah the model definitely works off of um uh data that you have and the 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 stronger your data is or i guess the more uh consistent you are the better success you're going to have early early on but you know again what's what's really cool about the um or i think it's pretty cool about the the system and the the algorithm is it's it's looking at that historical, but it's also looking at your actual. So it's it's kind of trying to pull um, the prediction to what we've seen historically, but it's also letting the actual uh, instance of that fermentation drive the prediction as well. So it's it's kind of tied between the two of them. So even if you don't have a ton of data um, for a brand, it's still going to look at that historical, but it's really going to drive still based upon what, what you're, you're doing, what you're seeing in the field. You also wanted to predict diacetyl levels to better inform that transition uh, for cooling. Tell us about that. 
Yeah. So, you know, similar fashion, what we started at, we started just by, again, going back about two and a half years, plotting um, diastole measurements on the y-axis uh, versus time since the start of uh, diastole rest on the x-axis. And just, again, looking at how that data looked, and it was similar to ADF. Um, but, you know, we, at the same time, we were doing some research and it was in the Journal of the Institute uh, Brewing. And we came across an article uh, modeling of diastole production during beer fermentation. And, you know, from that, we were able to derive another equation, which um, it's, it's in the slides. And I know members have access to that, that presentation. So instead of me trying to uh, explain it, it's, it's not too bad, but it, it's fairly lengthy. But again, another. So we, we, we found another uh, equation that we thought that we could use to model and predict diastole. So again, we've got a handful of coefficients um, that we can manipulate and their outcome gives us diastole at a given hour. And so, you know, in a similar fashion to ADF, we, as far as doing the prediction, we now had a, a function that we felt comfortable that we could use to, to model the data we see in reality. And then we use that same methodology that I talked about in ADF to actually kind of generate those predictions uh, for diastole. And how, how are you guys taking diastole measurements in the brewery? Right, yeah. So that, that's done by our QA department. So QA tech um, goes out, grabs a sample, and does that prep, and then uses our gas chromatograph um, for, for to give us a, a GC number and a PPB. How was the success of you know, the modeling for diastole versus ADF? I mean, did, did one work better than the other or were they both a huge success or what? Yeah, you know, the um, ADF, so we started on ADF first. And so that model we're, we're seeing and, and actually one of our um, one of our younger brewers who's just really smart <laughs> is actually working on uh, doing just a uh, uh, aggregating kind of our uh, validation of how well we're doing and but it as we approach that transition point so as we get into fermentation we're empirically we're seeing that we're about 99 percent accurate and um so adf the adf model seems is very strong um the diastole one's a little newer so we've been working with uh one of our qa techs and really just validating that but we're seeing um, pretty strong predictions, but there might be some tweaks with diastole that we might make. Um, so that's one that we're we're kind of going through. And I talked about this in my presentation, um, and I feel like we're through this with ADF, but we're in it right now with diastole. Um, we've kind of rolled out the tool into production, and then we're just kind of looking at its performance, and we'll probably make some tweaks to the model and bring that back into production. And until we get to a level of accuracy um, that we feel comfortable with, but, you know, and again, it's just, it, it's another, it's another tool for us. And so I think that's a really good point to make as well. This isn't something that we just blindly rely on um, to control our fermentations. Instead, it's something for our experts, you know, people that really have expertise in our fermentations and our diastole rest to kind of look at this, see what the model's saying. Um, and, and our hope is, yeah, a lot of times that they'll, they'll look at that prediction and say, okay, this transition should occur in this many hours and actually use that um, to set up the control system, say, okay, we're going to transition at this time. But again, it's, it's something that we want those that, you know, those brewers, those QA techs to be able to look at, use their expertise and say, yeah, this looks good. Or no, you know what? I might tweak this a little bit here as far as what my timing looks like. 
Um, and again, it's all to try to just have more consistency from a fermentation standpoint and really to try to capitalize on uh, capacity of our fermenters as well. How about ROI? Can you give us any numbers there or tell us uh, just how much capacity has been saved by using predictive analytics? Yeah, you know, and so that's a number we, we've talked about and kicked around. And it really, um, it, it's been hard to come up with an exact number, but we, we look at that in, in the past, it's been, um, it hasn't been that atypical to miss a transition. You know, we talk about these three transitions that are um, require somebody to be there, grab that sample, do it at the right time. You know, so missing those transitions by, you know, four, five, six, up to eight, 10 hours based upon shifts um, hasn't been that atypical. You know, so that, that can occur just based on our staffing levels, how busy things are. Um, so, it, you know, even if we roughly estimate that we might be able to tighten up our fermentations by even if we say a day or you know 12 hours per fermentation yeah i i think it's it's significant exactly what that is um you know i'm not exactly sure so what do you think you'll use predictive analytics for next you've been we've been talking about just other opportunities and we talk about you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence, predictive analytics, some future things. So we, you know, we have a model um, to help us predict when the transition from, you know, when we go from cooling our fermenters into our maturation phase, when that will occur. So that's something that's on our list to sit down and look at and try to validate. But beyond that, we just talk about other areas. So preventative maintenance seems really obvious and applicable um you know from a brewer standpoint we've talked about well you know can we use this for our lottering logic that sounds sounds like a, a kind of a fun project um and more recently we, we acquired a gcms and so we're, we're you know we have a technician in our qa department that's starting to generate a lot of data off of it but it's just it, it's so much data for one person to to sit down and sit through and try to find interesting patterns. So that's something more recently we've been talking about. You know, can we use some of these algorithms to, you know, just run through those huge data sets to find things of interest uh, for us as brewers? So um, that's kind of exciting. I, I think that's something we're starting to look into now that we're um, I think will be a lot of fun. That was Brian Favor here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you'd like to get your hands on Brian's presentation so you can see the S-curves and the logistic functions used for predictive analytics at the shoots, pick up a copy of the 2017 Master Brewers Conference Proceedings from the Master Brewers Bookstore at mbaa.com. I hope you'll join me in Cleveland Friday, October 29th for something really special. I'll be doing a live interview with fan favorite Joe Hertrick as he receives the Master Brewers Distinguished Life Service Award. Joe has been educating brewers and maltsters for more than 50 years, and I can't wait to give conference attendees a glimpse into Joe's lifetime of service. If you still haven't registered for the conference, do it now, and don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, 
Let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. I hope you'll join me on Thursday, October 28th in Cleveland for a live version of Ask the Brewmasters. Panelists include soon-to-be Master Brewers President Andy Tavikram from Market Garden Breweries, Travis Audette from Anheuser-Busch InBev, and Vinny Chilerzo from Russian River. If you haven't already registered for the conference, use the link in the show notes to register now.